Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. My name is Will, and uh, I'm one of the pastors over at New City Fellowship, and we've had the joy over the past couple years of getting to know Marlon and Deborah and seeing uh, the Way City Church go from an idea and a dream to a reality. And uh, so it, it's a real honor to be able to speak to you all. We've been praying for you. We've been praying for your city uh, long before uh, the Way City Church launched, and we've continued to pray for you all as you try to navigate uh, the pandemic and, of course, the uh, climate that our uh, country is in. And of course, uh, I'm coming to you today because of uh, what's going on with Marlon and Deborah. If uh, you haven't heard, they welcomed uh, their third child, a baby boy, into the world this week. And uh, he came a little early. He was so excited to uh, you know, come in and, and join the people of Way City that he got here a little bit early. So he needs some extra attention. And of course, Deborah is uh, recovering right now from uh, everything that I've heard as of recent. They're doing well, but I just want to encourage you uh, to continue to pray for this beautiful family. Pray for this beautiful little boy as he grows uh, in the uh, NICU at Fairfax Hospital right now. And uh, continue to just be a supportive presence in the Yearwood's life as uh, you know, leading this brand new church in the midst of a pandemic wasn't enough. Now, uh, kind of having to walk through this storm as a family as they watch this baby boy kind of recover uh, is going to be a challenge as well. And so I just want to call on you all to continue to pray and find ways to support and encourage. I'm sure your leadership will be giving you some opportunities and some clarity as to what that might look like. Um, but nonetheless, it's great to be with you all this morning. Um, what we're going to be doing as I'm with you for however many weeks uh, I need to be, I'm happy to step in and help out Marlon, is basically inviting the people at the Way City Church into a conversation that we're having here in Manassas at New City Fellowship. Uh, I'd like to say that it's a very simple conversation, but it's not. We are all faced with right now, kind of due to the very in-our-face events of what happened with Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia and, uh, of, of course, George Floyd in Minnesota, uh, and then all of the things under the surface, we are uh, being confronted with the realities of racism in our society. And as a church in Manassas at New City Fellowship, uh, we want to speak to these things. Um, you know, everybody has an opinion and everybody is sharing articles and events and memes that kind of help confirm that opinion on different social media platforms. As I've been just personally approaching this as a follower of Jesus, I want to share for you a verse that's been just helpful for me as I think about uh, everything that's going on. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I'm going to read the NIV version because that's the version that I memorized it in when I first became a believer. But it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As we approach the subject of racism in America, there are lots of patterns that we can conform ourselves to, like this passage says. For example, if you're a conservative-minded person, you have a pattern and a set of things that you focus on. If you're maybe a more progressive-minded person, you have a pattern uh, and a set of things that you focus on. Both and all the other opinions about this subject have certainly strengths and weaknesses, but if we allow ourselves to fall into a pattern that the world gives us on this subject, we will be seriously lacking. 
And so both as just a committed follower of Jesus for myself and as a pastor, what I'm hoping to do in the weeks to come as we continue to sort through this and even the months and years to come, as we continue to uh, strive towards equity in our society and uh, racial harmony and reconciliation, what I want to do is set aside the patterns that this world offers me. And I want my mind to be renewed by the perfect will of God on this subject. None of us will apprehend his will perfectly, but I want to regularly submit everything that I'm receiving, everything that I'm saying unto the perfect will of God. I want, to, I want God, I want God himself to speak to me and to you all about his heart uh, for the subject of race and ethnicity. I want God to share his heart and renew my mind with his heart uh, for questions of justice and oppression. I want to hear God's desires for righteousness and the flourishing of humanity. And so in order to do that, to have our minds renewed, so we're not just falling into uh, one of the worldly patterns that's offered to us, we need his word to set the agenda. And when we can do that, we'll be able to do what it says at the latter half of this verse. We will be able to test and approve what God's will is on this subject. And so as a church at New City Fellowship, we're just going to be looking at some different passages that I think will help renew our mind in this area. Uh, that I think will help give us clarity to think about this, these realities of racism, um, of the divisions we see in our country through the lens of God's word, as opposed to simply falling into yet another uh, just fallen and insufficient pattern that the world offers us. And so uh, where we're going to begin our kind of conversation on this subject as a church is going to be in the book of John, chapter 11, verses 28 through 37. I'd love to invite you if you've got an app open or your Bible open to turn on over there. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV here. Um, John chapter 11 verses 28 through 37. I want to read this. I want to pray over you all and then I want to reflect just a little bit on something that really shines forth from Jesus's character in this passage. Let's read it together. John eleven twenty-eight. When he had said this, when she had said this, excuse me, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said to them, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, See how he loved him? 
But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Let's pray together. Lord, we now turn to your word to shape how we live all of our lives, but specifically as we approach the concept, the conversation of race and racism in our society. Lord, there are people grieving deeply, and we'll continue to grieve as we fight this battle together. In the midst of each other's grief, I pray that we would display the character of Jesus that weeps with those who weep. We pray this as your people, in Jesus' name, amen. This morning as we begin um, this conversation, I want to talk to you about a word that I have honestly not been too familiar with in my own life. I don't think most men have, especially. It's the word empathy. And it's been something that God's been working into my own life, my own heart, as I've been seeking Him throughout this week. And empathy, just in English terms, is defined as the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. Another definition says that it's the action of understanding, being aware of, being sensitive to, and then here's the key, vicariously experiencing the feelings, thoughts, and experience of another. Empathy is entering into the pain of someone else and allowing yourself to share their pain. And you may not have thought of Jesus in terms of, of empathy before, but what I, I want you to see uh, this, this morning is that empathy is not a minor characteristic in Jesus. It's actually something very central to, to, to who he is. Him even becoming a human being in the first place was perhaps the greatest expression of empathy that's ever been offered. And I think as we continue to have this conversation on race and racism in our society and in the church, something that we need to lean hard into is this key characteristic of Jesus. We, we need to not only see Jesus' empathy as something to admire. Oh, look how uh, uh, empathetic was. Jesus wept after all. Uh, not only something to be admired, but as his followers, something that we aspire to as we face some difficult conversations. And so I want to begin by just sharing with you a story of a time that I experienced some empathy from uh, my wife uh, a couple weeks ago. So I'm just going to share a little bit personally of some things that I've been thinking about and wrestling with over the past couple weeks. And the things that I've been wrestling with are not really tied uh, necessarily to what people of color in our country have experienced, but uh, just something uh, about a month ago that I was facing. So, so here it is. I've, I've really come to grips over the past couple years that the, the job that your pastor Marlon does and I do and other pastors uh, around the world do is a uniquely challenging job. Lots of jobs have lots of challenges, but there are some things about this job that I've just become personally aware of that are very difficult. Uh, there's a statistic that says nine out of every 10 people who begin in pastoral ministry quit somewhere before they retire. So 90% of people want out of this job at some point along uh, their journey. And I've just been reflecting on that, feeling that a little bit recently. And then came to mind someone who was pretty important to me early on as I became a pastor. His name was Darren Patrick. 
Uh, he was very influential for me personally years ago. He wrote a book on church planting that really set the spark in my mind and my heart to see a church planted in Manassas. And uh, many of the things that he said and taught were so formative, so helpful for me in those early years and caused me to really want to kind of follow in those uh, footsteps that he had laid out. Well, uh, about maybe three or four years ago, it, it came to light that some things happening in this man's life uh, were not above reproach and he needed to step away from ministry. And my first response to that, kind of being naive about everything that goes on in pastoral ministry, was simply to kind of be judgmental and to look down on him and to think like, how could you do this? How could you kind of aspire or teach us to such a high level of living but not live to it yourself? And then I think as I began pursuing pastoral ministry myself a little more, I realized that you know, uh, that, that judgmental feeling turned a little bit more into compassion because I just began to realize that, you know, there are a lot of unique challenges in this job, not justifying it, just acknowledging that there's some challenges there. Well, two weeks ago, or maybe a month ago, uh, I got the news that um, this guy who I had looked up to so much and had been through this time um, and even had gone through a season of kind of being restored into ministry had died from a self-inflicted gun wound. And when I was just thinking about what it's like to, to kind of go through this job and um, when I was just thinking about the influence he had in my life and just all that he had been through and, and getting this news, I was absolutely gutted. I was absolutely gutted. I, I was grieved uh, incredibly thinking about his wife, thinking about his kids, uh, thinking about just how desperate he must have felt to um, to go through through what he he went through, and so I shared with my wife the weight that I was feeling, and and here's what she could have done in that moment, she could have rationalized with me. She could have said, "Well, hold on a second, we don't know everything yet. Let's just wait for all of the facts to come out." She could have said, well, you know the statistics of pastoral suicide. That shouldn't be something you're concerned about. I mean, it affects such a tiny, minuscule amount of people who are involved in ministry. She could have pointed out maybe things that were unique to his personal life that he didn't deal with that maybe led him to this moment. Uh, she could have said, hey, what he's going through is not your situation. You don't need to kind of insert yourself into that. He's way out in the Midwest. He's got his own context. You know, you're here. You're uh, doing well. What, you know, why are you caught up in all of that? It doesn't uh, make any sense. But my wife knew that in that moment, I didn't need statistics. I didn't need facts or an explanation about how uh, this has nothing to do with me. I didn't need my pastoral theology aligned and adjusted. My wife knew as I sat in this moment of grief, as I sat in this moment of feeling a connection to someone because I had a similar just kind of experience as to what they have experienced, she knew what I needed was empathy. Instead of rationalizing with me, she put her arm around me. She said she was so sorry and she prayed for me. She shared the feelings of another. She vicariously experienced my pain. And what I want you to know, Way City Church, in that moment, is that my wife Chelsea was doing much more than being a good wife. My wife was actually displaying the character of Jesus. In this story, 
what shines forth in it is the empathy of Jesus. Lazarus has died. Jesus arrives on the scene. And we're generally familiar with this passage because if you grew up playing Bible trivia games, it is the passage with the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. But I pray those words for us would be much more than just an interesting fact that, you know, uh, that's the shortest verse in the Bible. I pray that we would see the way Jesus relates to people in pain as an example for how that should look in our lives as his followers, as we ourselves relate to people who are experiencing pain. He shows up to a group of people who are grieving. And let me just tell you, in this story, there are some aspects uh, about it uh, where he could have kind of simply rationalized with them. And actually with Martha in the previous section, he does. But in this moment, as he sees people grieving, he doesn't choose to simply, uh, you know, address the, the rationality of the moment. And there's issues with what some of the people are saying. For example, Mary says uh, in this passage, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, that's not necessarily true uh, because it's as though she's communicating this has happened outside of Jesus's plan. Jesus should have done something different. Jesus could have corrected her in that moment. And then later, the crowds are saying, uh, they grumble and say that this man who was able to heal the blind, couldn't he have come and saved this man? There's people who need some things straightened out. Uh, They need a conversation. They need some truth. But consider in this moment the empathy of Jesus. At this particular moment, he's not interested in straightening out and rationalizing with them. Our Jesus sees Mary and the crowds weeping. And our Jesus knows he's about to make everything right again. But what does he do? What does Jesus do? He stops and he weeps with them. Later it says he was deeply moved. What we need to see, Way City Church, is that when Jesus sees hurting people, Yes, he brings solution. Yes, he brings truth. Yes, he brings righteousness. But you know what also he brings? What else he brings? He brings empathy. He brings empathy. He shares in our sorrows. He carries our griefs. When his people are weeping, he gets beside them and he weeps along with them. This is a kind of empathy that the Bible says we should not just admire in Jesus, but that we are commanded to actually emulate ourselves. Romans 12, 15, speaking to us, says, First of all, rejoice with those who rejoice. Celebrate good and beautiful things that are happening in people's lives. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And also, church, weep with those who weep. That's empathy. That's empathy. And that is the call on us in the midst of people experiencing racism. You know, when Jesus, what Jesus offers through his empathy to hurting people, I've just been recognizing in my own life over the past week or so that I've failed to offer some of my black brothers and sisters in their times of grief. I've failed to do that at times. 
I was thinking this week about a very dear friend of mine. He's a black man. His name is Jeff. And this man loves Jesus with all his heart. I've never seen a more zealous evangelist than my dear friend Jeff. If you meet him, you will at some point uh, hear the gospel. He was actually raised not too far from you all in Woodbridge in the Dumfries area. And he's told me actually different stories just as a friend maybe like 10 years ago about just bad experiences he's had with police officers. He told me about one night he was in D.C. just I guess at the wrong place at the wrong time. And he had been uh, uh, just kind of snatched up, put in the back of the police car for something completely unrelated to him, just because they thought he perhaps might have something to do with the situation that they were dealing with. And little did these officers know that in putting Jeff in the back of the car meant that they were going to get an ongoing gospel presentation while his hands were cuffed behind his back as he sat there uh, the whole time. Um, but even as he chose to even preach the gospel in the midst of that, that didn't take away the difficulty of being singled out and arrested uh, because of the color of, of Jeff's skin. Um, and so this is just things that he'd experienced in his life, and I'd heard those stories. And I remember when he was hanging out with me shortly after the, the Ferguson case, which I'll be first to recognize is a complex situation. I think the media did a very poor job gathering information and details of that case. Uh, but it was a painful situation for people of color in our country. Jeff was over at my house. Some, some breaking news came out that night about what was happening with the case. And my, my friend was sad. He was grieved. And do you know what I chose to do in that moment? I chose to offer my opinion, my perspective on it, some of the facts that I think he needed to take into account. And is there a time to, to have hard conversations about these things? Of course there is. But there's also a time to be like our Lord Jesus, who when he sees people experiencing pain, he weeps alongside of them himself. So I put a phone call out to my friend Jeff this week and I said, hey Jeff, you may not even remember this experience, but man, I just failed to follow Jesus here. I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? I think we sometimes in the church have failed to offer the empathy that Jesus offers to our uh, uh, friends, our brothers and sisters of color in the midst of their grief. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I can just say in our own church, New City, and I'd imagine maybe people at the Way City Church, there are people who have been mistreated because, by the police because of the color of their skin. There are people who are terrified for their sons. There are people who have been made to feel dangerous simply because of how they look. There have been people who have had the police called on them for what is uh, suggested to be suspicious behavior, uh, when in reality they were doing nothing wrong at all. There are people in our midst who are absolutely gutted at the sight of another black man being killed unjustly in our society. And the invitation and the call of Christ on us as we are in the family of God together with people who are struggling through these realities is first and foremost to show empathy, to first and foremost weep with those who weep. So can I just ask you a couple questions to consider this morning as we look at the racial grief that people in our church, that people in our society feel. First of all, I want to ask you this. 
are you actually close enough to people of another race to extend empathy? Are there people in your life who have personally been affected by the uh, evil realities of racism? Or do you simply kind of get all your information on this from just whatever news or media outlet that you prefer? Are you close enough to people to actually hear their experiences? And then secondly, I want to ask, when you hear those experiences of pain, do you offer empathy? Do you enter into that sorrow, letting them know, hey, I may not fully understand this, but I see your grief and I want to grieve with you in the midst of it. I personally, I personally want to be more like Jesus in this area. And I hope all of us, whatever our skin tone is, want to as well. I want to carry grief and weep with those who weep because that's what my Jesus does for me. And listen, as I close, you know, it's, it's a long time until Christmas. I sure hope the year 2020 has brightened up a little bit by the time that we get there. But I, I just want to offer you, just in closing, a, a Christmas reflection, as inappropriate as it is this time of year. Christmas, as we look at the incarnation, the reality of God taking on human flesh, it is all about empathy. It is God looking down on humanity, seeing our pain, seeing our guilt, seeing the sorrows and the, uh, the, the grief that we carry and saying, I'm not just going to stay at a distance. I'm not just going to send down some information. I am going to literally enter into that by taking on the human condition upon myself. The good news that we celebrate as God's people is that when God sees our sin and sees our pain, he does not remain distant, but he becomes a part of it. So much so that he was willing to live a perfect life in the places where we failed. He was willing to die the most miserable and excruciating death on the cross that you and I deserved. And he was raised up from the grave to offer new life, to all who believe in him. The incarnation, the the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is God coming to earth and expressing empathy to you and to me. If you've not given your life over to this God who extends empathy to hurting and sinful people, I want to offer you that invitation right now. God calls all people everywhere from Manassas to Woodbridge and beyond the globe to turn from their sins and to trust in Jesus. To turn from their sins and to even take their sorrows, their griefs in this life and bring it before him that we might find both forgiveness, a reconciled relationship with God, and a God who is happy to carry all of our sorrows and all of our griefs. Let me pray for you all closing. Lord Jesus, thank you for your empathy that enters into the pain and grief of this fallen world. I pray that your people would experience your empathy as we consider all that you've done for us. And I pray that your people would extend your empathy to hurting people in our churches, in our society, and around the world. Help us with these things, we pray in Jesus' name.
we'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.